Well, good morning, Thomas Road. How are y'all doing? I have to tell you that it is one of my highest honors to be in your presence today, and I promise that I'll be finished by 12 o'clock. I come from a predominantly black family. I don't know if y'all can tell that or not. And I'm an ordained minister. I'm a pastor. That is a lethal combination when it comes to time. I can go all day long, but in the words of King Henry VIII, as he spoke to each of his six wives, I won't keep you long, but I am so honored. I want to thank Pastor Jonathan for the wonderful opportunity. I've had a chance to hear him preach, and I want to tell you you're blessed because the legacy continues. Somebody say amen. If you are in a church that where the pastor preaches the word of God, you are blessed. And Pastor Jonathan rightfully divides the word of God. And I'm so grateful. I was getting ready this morning and I was listening to him this morning and I was getting fired up, baby. I'm ready to go. Are y'all ready to get into the word of God? Oh, hold. Y'all are gonna have to make some noise this half hour. I preach in some white churches. I get so bored to put myself to sleep. Are y'all ready to get in the Word of God? That's a lot better. My Bible is open to Deuteronomy chapter number six. I'm reading out of the uh, I'm reading out of the New International Version this morning. Deuteronomy chapter number six. And if you don't have your Bible. I believe that it is on the screen ready for you. I would like to read verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at your home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and your gates. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Would you say amen? amen. I would listen to Pastor Jonathan this morning talk last week about the power that a godly man can have not just in the community, but first and foremost, in his own household. And the title of my sermon today is The Impact of a Godly Man. The Impact of a Godly Man. How many of you know that we're living in a superficial age? I said, how many of you know that, that, that it's far more significant in this day and age to, to, to look good than it is to be good? We live in a culture that is completely void of common sense. Come on, y'all need to make some noise. I said, we live in a society very different from the society of our parents and our grandparents. How many of you know that our grandparents could not have cared what they wore? They didn't care about all the accoutrements that tend to adorn the outside of the cup. Our parents told the truth, thought the best of people, did what they said they were going to do, put in a good day's work, and tried to live godly lives. Is it possible that our parents may have had a better quality of life with less? We live in a society 
where we have so many smart devices that appeal to us, that compete for our hearts and minds, that constantly demand our attention, and with all those smart devices, we may be dumber. We're certainly more biblically illiterate. I went to this amazing school, and I was taught by my professors at this amazing school that when you get out of this school, coach the folks up on the Word of God. That school was called Liberty University. Come on, somebody. And just like Jesus returning back, as recorded in the Gospel of Mark, he came back to overturn the cultural norms of a society that was going wayward. Our society is going wayward. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Men, say amen. If you call yourself a man of God, start acting like a man of God. Sherwood, I don't think the microphone is working. I said, if you call yourself a man of God, act like a man of God. At least all the women ought to say amen. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that superficiality is at an all-time high. Narcissism certainly is. Narcissism is at an all-time high. If you don't believe me, just look at the average Facebook picture. It looks nothing like the person. The point that I'm trying to make is this. It has become far more beneficial to try to convince people of our, of our worth by what, we, by what we look like, by our status, our standing, by, by, by our clothing, by the area that we live in. I live in Dallas. People drive Land Rovers. They ain't even got no land. But the point that I'm trying to make is this. Those represent gifts from God that can be distractions if you're not focused on the things of God. Are you all hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? I, I want you to hear my heart. This message is primarily for men, but everyone in here will benefit. Listen carefully to the word of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That is an indicative, a statement of fact. Anytime you see an indicative in the Bible, a command will follow. It's, it's as if God is saying, I'm going to give you the strength to carry out this command. Here comes the command. Everybody say, I'm listening. Y'all are going to have to do better. This sounds like a Lutheran church. Is this a Lutheran church? <laughs> Nothing against Lutherans. If you're here, you make great tater tot casserole, whatever that is. <laughs> Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one indicative. Here comes the command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Look up. I, I need to get your attention. As a former communications professor, let me throw something on you. 50% of what you hear, you forget just like that. Of the remaining 50%, you lose 38% over the next 24 hours. We're not trained to listen. All the wives should say amen. There goes an amen point right there. You shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart, with a portion of your heart? You shall love the Lord your God when it comes to just loving some people? No. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Boy, look at the next sentence. Teach it in your home. What good is it for Sherwood and I to travel the world and preach the gospel and act a fool in our own home? Teach it in your home. Not only that, model it in the community. Model it in the neighborhood. What's so significant about modeling? Listen to me very carefully. Harvard Business Review, September 2004. The article was titled Deep Smarts. Here's the thesis. Lecturing. 
What our universities are based upon is the worst kind of teaching method. Think about Jesus for a moment. You want to get the intended message across? Model the behavior. Man, I want to ask you, what are you modeling? In this superficial society, the typical man tends to focus on that which is frivolous, constantly being distracted, modeling impressionistic living. That's not why Jesus died. And that's not what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to let our light shine in such a way that men see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. We are commanded. We are commanded to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We are commanded to make an impact and not just an impression. I'm looking for some godly men who would dare make an impact, and you better be intentional in this shallow, superficial culture that every single day turns right into wrong. Can I hear an amen, somebody? The goal is to make an impact, men. That is, if you want to be a godly man. The goal is to make, look, look at this word. This word says you teach it at home first. You teach it to your children, then you put it on the doorposts. You model it out in the community. I want to tell you something. The world is leading us when it comes to serving people. Because we get caught up in our cubicles as opposed to looking for needs. Somebody wake up. I said, somebody wake up. How many of you know what John 1.14 says? Raise your hands if you know what John 1.14 says. Don't look it up. John 14, 1.14, you all know it. Everybody say, I'm listening. Come on, everybody say, I'm listening. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Eugene Peterson's translation, look up, everyone. In Eugene Peterson's translation, it says this. And the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. You are to take the word of God. In fact, you are to be in a constant state of worship. The essence of who we are is a worshiper. And then you are to invade the neighborhood, making a difference, making an impact, letting your light shine, looking for needs, looking for possibilities, looking for opportunities. They're all around us. There are people crying in your neighborhood. Don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. And men especially We tend to be more distracted today than ever before. Men say amen. Amen. Robin Sharma, one of these consultants, listen to what he said. I think there's utility here. He said, the average knowledge-based person is distracted a minimum of 30 minutes of two hours every day. Two hours every day. Interrupted every 11 minutes. Then it takes 30 minutes to return back to an alpha level of thinking. Pastor Rick, in 10 minutes, you have said that we tend to be more impressionistic, look up, than impactful. We tend not to be the greatest listeners in the world, look up. And we tend to be easily distracted, look up. And yet we've been charged to go make, baptize, and teach. I'm looking for just a few men who will accept God's word on God's terms and say, it's time for me to start making some different choices in my life. God is calling me to make an impact, an impact, an impact, an impact, not just an impression. This world needs us. The United States of America needs what's in Thomas Road. Come on, somebody. The United States needs us needs us desperately. 
I want to tell you something, no men. Listen to me very carefully. Men, say amen. amen. Guess what, men? The, the, the impact of a godly man is not derived from nibbling at the table of the world. I was reading a year ago, for the third or fourth time, this book by John Piper. Anybody here read John Piper? A Hunger for God? Listen to this quote. If you're listening, everybody, say amen. amen. Say amen loud. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. I want to tell you once again, the impact of a godly man is not derived from nibbling at the table of the world. Deuteronomy puts it this way. Love me with everything you've got so that you can love other people without expecting to be loved in return, so that you can model something that the world cannot possibly give before your spouse, so that you can leave a legacy to those children, to those grandchildren, to those great children. That is called advancing the kingdom of God. Stop, resist, quit advancing your own agenda. I spent, I'm 63. I spent the first 40 years of my life making my life about me and I have absolutely nothing to show for it. Can I tell y'all something? Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. Pride is the burden of a foolish person. How many of you know, don't raise your hands, they might be sitting next to you, but how many of you know, how many of you know someone that's so full of themselves they're doing no earthly good? Come on, just keep looking straight ahead. <laughs> What happens? What happens to a person whose heart is freed by Jesus Christ, who breaks free from the chains and shackles of their own sense of self-importance? I'll tell you what happens. Jesus said it. When you deny yourself, you take up your cross. When you follow him, people will follow you as you follow Jesus. I'm looking for a few men who are willing to deny themselves, denying the impulses of the flesh, denying always being the center of the conversation. Denying always, always, always feeling this insatiable desire to prove the worth of who you are and the rightness of what you do. God is calling us to make a difference and move into the neighborhood. I wish I had a witness, Pastor Jonathan. I wish I had a witness here. I'm not talking about being mamby-pamby men. I'm not talking about being the most buff brother in Lynchburg. But what about being an impactful man for God? I guarantee you something, man. If you are that kind of man, your woman will find you irresistible. Come on, somebody. Oh, you don't hear what Big Daddy's saying to you today. Probably never heard the word Big Daddy in this church, but let me tell you something. <laughs> the impact of a godly man, a man who loves his God, who teaches the word at home first, who models God's love all through the community. Do you know what? Your walk, your, your, your walk is determined by your influence. What degree of godly influence do you have, brother? I think John Maxwell was spot on when he said years ago, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Your ability to influence people within the sphere of your periphery determines the impact that you make. What grows your influence? Telling the truth. 
thinking the best of people, doing what you say you're going to do. Men, look up. You don't have to be uh, extravagant. Just do the basics. Just execute the basics. When you walk into a restaurant, uh, make sure that, that you are looking for needs instead of looking for a table. Come on, men. When you're in line at the airport, make sure that you're the one helping the woman with too many bags instead of trying to get on the airplane first so everybody can be appeased by your sense of superiority. Doesn't bless God. When you leave the sanctuary and you go to the bathroom, man, if there's a paper towel on the floor, pick it up so that bathroom is in better condition for the next man. God is calling us, man. He's calling us to retire our comfort zone to retire our feelings. How many of you know we live in such a shallow, superficial society that most men are motivated by our feelings? So if we don't feel like doing something, we don't do it, whether it's in the Word of God or not. A pastor's not calling you. God is calling you. I said a pastor is not calling you. God is calling you. I don't care whether y'all like me or not. I'm preaching the Word of God today. And I'm hearing the Word of God say, you shall love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I'm talking about that which makes an impact. An impact. An impact. I learned how to make this impact from the unlikeliest of sources. How many of you know that wisdom is often gift-wrapped in the unlikeliest of wrapping paper? A setback. A loss a failure. In my case, an uneducated man. The wisest man I ever met in my life was also the godliest. It was a third grade dropout. It was my daddy. My daddy lived in Deuteronomy. Wisest man I ever met in my life. Yet, he only had a third grade education. That's rather oxymoronic. Wisest in third grade. Isn't it? That's incongruent. It's oxymoronic like jumbo shrimp. Let me go over here. It's oxymoronic like fun run. Ain't nothing fun about it. It's oxymoronic like Microsoft works. Like country music. Actually, Sherwood and I have lived in Texas. Our families have lived in Texas so long. We now love country music. He's got a pickup truck. I got cowboy boots. I got cowboy hats. I hunt. I fish. Y'all, I'm a black neck, red neck. You don't hear what I'm saying to you. It's, <laughs> it's not oxymoronic for me to say country music. And it's not oxymoronic for me to say that the wisest man I ever met in my life who taught me how to make an impact was a third grade dropout. It was my daddy. My daddy grew up in 1920. When, when racism was literally de facto the way of life. And, and he decided against that backdrop that he was not gonna make excuses. I love people who don't make excuses. I said, I love people who don't make excuses. My father decided that he was gonna teach himself how to read and teach himself how to write. One of the earliest lessons of a person who makes an impact is this. They share with those behind them to don't expect other people to do for you what you ought to do for yourself. Oh, I feel like preaching, y'all. My father decides that he's going to stand and be a man. Even in a society, pay attention, ma'am. How you doing, girl? Even in a society that would lynch you, that would take you out for standing and being a man, he decided that he was going to respect those who opposed him and that he was going to respect himself. So he stands in the 30s as a man. 
not as a black man, not as a brown man, not as a white man, but as a man. I need y'all to hear me, Thomas Rhodes. I really need you to hear me. When you stand, I'm not just talking to the men right now. When you stand for God, when your life stands for the glory of God, and you make an impact, that impact will last far after you have gone. My daddy makes an impact in the 1930s. Impact continues, 40s, 50s, 60s, let's say 70s. 1972, I'm 16 years old. I've got an afro so big I can't get in the Volkswagen. I still can't get in the Volkswagen. <laughs> I'm working at this fast food restaurant on the West Coast called Jack in a Box. I come home with an attitude one day. My father said, boy, what's wrong with you? I thought boy was my middle name for about 25, 30 years. I said, Daddy, that white man over there told me that I had to scrub toilets. I don't scrub nobody's toilet. I fry french fries. <laughs> Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. I, I, I fry hot apple turnovers. I don't scrub no white man's toilets without raising his voice. Watch this. Watch this. I want to talk to the young folks for a second. Without raising his voice, my father said, son, what does the color of one's skin have to do with one displaying excellence? Right then, I could tell this conversation was not going to go the way I thought it was going to go. <laughs> I said, Daddy, but didn't you tell me that when you were a child growing up in Texas, you had to get off the sidewalk to allow a white man to walk on the sidewalk? Yes, son, I did. But there's a word for that. It's called history. Your father chooses to live in the present. Who signs your paycheck? I told him. He said, son, as long as that person signs your paycheck, you do whatever he tells you to do. When you own your own restaurant, you do whatever you want. Now, this is what your father wants you to do. Leave your car in the driveway. Walk back to Jack in the Box. This was really getting out of control right now. <laughs> Tell your supervisor that your daddy said you are here to volunteer for an eight-hour shift, and all you desire to do is scrub toilets. What's my point? The impact of godliness the impact of Colossians 3, the impact of how we ought live so that we can make an impact that goes beyond just my comfort and my convenience. That impact started there, marched through the decades. Am I talking to anybody in here? Marched through the decades. It continues to this day. I got four boys. The youngest is 18. I made the mistake of going into his bathroom a couple months ago. Listen, come here. Look at that toilet. Daddy, I just want to say it to him, sir. Daddy needs you to scrub this toilet. He said, well, you know, the maid comes. I didn't ask you when the maid comes. Daddy needs you to scrub this toilet, and I needed you to scrub it with excellence. You are not going to believe what that boy said to me. How much do I get paid? <laughs> I said, you get one more day on God's green earth. That's how much you get. <laughs> Pastor Rick, why are you so hard on him? Not hard on him. There's a legacy of excellence. Come on, somebody, listen to me. I'm not hard on him. There's a legacy of godly excellence. All the women in here, I just want you to say, hey. hey. There's a legacy of godly excellence that was passed on. And I know this. If I don't demand, listen to me, if I don't place a demand for excellence on this young man at 18, I'm going to have to apologize to one of these women at 28 for giving her a boy and not a man.
talking about making an impact. I said I'm talking about making an impact. An impact. You have a choice every single day. Are you making godly choices to make an impact? You have all you need to make an impact. You don't believe me? Meditate on Ephesians 1 for about a year. The goal is not to act any way you want, men. I'm going to go awfully quiet, Sherwood. I can tell you right now, we ain't getting invited back. I'm going to tell you, I might as well just go for it right now, brother. You see, the primary concern of the modern-day man, I'm right in the mix. I fight this as well. Primary concern of the modern-day man, comfort, convenience, and appearance. Those words are not found in the vocabulary of Jesus Christ, the Christo, the Chrisma, the Anointed One. That daddy of mine went to World War II. After World War II, you know what? This clock has been on 10 minutes for like, oh, I'm, I'm paying attention to the wrong number. I thought I had a whole another 45, 50 minutes. <laughs> I need to pay attention to that second number. Sorry. Um, I just wish I had my 12 gauge right now. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. <clears throat> After World War II, my father comes back to his beloved Texas. He announces the unthinkable to his family that he's moving to a foreign country, San Francisco, California. Within the first week he's there, he falls in love with a forklift driver. My mother was a bad mamma jamma, let me tell you right now. They fall in love and get married. I'm the oldest of the lot. My daddy gets a job as a cook, a simple cook. What's his occupation? Cook. Not cordon blue trained, just a simple line cook at a military institution called California Maritime Academy. This is one of those academies. We have four or five of them in the United States. They train men and women to go into the maritime business. In order to graduate from these academies, these cadets have to go to sea three months out of every year, the worst weather months on a nautical calendar. My father's on the support staff. He goes to sea right along with these midshipmen. In a 30-year career, this third-grade dropout from rural Texas sails the world 10 times over, learns portions of five foreign languages. I want you to listen and feel the impact of a godly man. I have four degrees. My brother is a presidential appointed attorney, a presidential appointed judge, I should say, in Washington, D.C., and retired colonel, United States Army. We're not the smartest ones in our family. It was a country mother from Oklahoma quoting Henry Ford every day of my life. Boys, if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. It was a third grade dropout daddy Quoting Michelangelo so many times, I would get nauseous. Ricky? Yes, sir. Ricky, daddy's not going to have a problem if you aim high and miss. But daddy's going to have a real issue if you aim low and hit. Colossians 3, once again, coming forward. My father wasn't interested in rearing black men. He was interested in rearing godly men who would change the world. I'm talking about making an impact. I said, I'm talking about the word of God moving into the neighborhood, talking about modeling it inside of the house, growing mighty oaks everywhere you go. 
Listen to these basics from a third grade dropout. Just simple, basic tendencies of a godly man who makes an impact. Son, yes, Daddy? Don't judge people. Evaluate them? Absolutely. Judge? Never. Your daddy has been all over the world. I've seen good and bad in every shade. The tendency of a human being is to judge somebody because they appear different than you. How can you impact somebody, son, that you've already judged? And then he dropped Jonathan Swift on me, who said on one occasion, vision is the ability to see the invisible. If all you see is what you see, you don't see all there is that needs to be seen. One thing I like about your father, one thing I love about your father, Pastor, is that he loved people even who he was diametrically and politically opposed to. Doc Falwell loved them. Don't judge, folks. Hey, can I tell you a really quick story? I'm going to anyway. I'm just waiting for a response. So I happen to be a motivational speaker, and I had this engagement in San Francisco at a luxury hotel. For those of you who know the city, it was in the Knob Hill section, which is code for old Italian money. And this hotel had lost the star. And my assignment was to talk to 700 people, and I thought I had a clever title. Here was the title. You can't be a five-star hotel if you hire three-star employees. Well, anyway, so I'm at this hotel. Nobody knows I'm coming except the general manager. I'm supposed to be there on a Monday. I show up on Sunday. I just want to observe undercover. I show up in a suit, in a black sedan that I'm driving. First words out of the valet's mouth. Hello, sir. Who are you here to pick up? I had a lovely conversation with that man. They had to give him oxygen the next day when he saw who was on stage. Guess what I found? I discovered that that man was not racist. He really wasn't. He was a nice guy. It was worse than being racist. He was ignorant. When you're ignorant, you don't just go backwards, but about 10 or 12 of your closest go back with you. Don't judge. Son? Yes, Daddy? No one is beneath you. Does that sound like your Savior? I I can't hear you. Does that sound like your Savior? Everybody needs God's love, even Democrats. You know who some of our best audiences are? Rednecks. Because we are rednecks. We're all God's people. Congress, if you're listening to me, start respecting one another, especially those who put you in office. And men, stop worrying about the man in the White House. Start worrying about the man in your house. God is calling us up. I said, God is calling. How many of you know that it's dark right now? I said, how many of you know it's dark right now? And how many of you know in Isaiah it says, when it gets this dark, therein lies the greatest potential for your light to shine the brightest. Man, God is placing a demand upon us to move away from our own sense of safety and security. He is calling us to love God in such a way that we love everybody. Boy, it's quiet in here. Here's a homework assignment for you. Take some folks to lunch today that you don't like. (laughs) Call a relative this week that you can't stand. You know, ma'am, that sister that offended you at the last family reunion, call a woman. 
What are you saying, Pastor Rick? What Jesus would say to you. What Jesus would say to you. You shall love the Lord your God with... Oh, I, I can't hear y'all. I learned that from a third grade dropout daddy. Listen to this lesson. Son, you'd rather be an hour early than a minute late. If that is not godliness, I don't know what is. Listen to me, friend. You don't just show up anytime you want. When you show up anytime you want, you put God in second position and your ego is center stage. Look at me. Uh-huh. My father had the breakfast shift. He had to be at California Maritime Academy at 5 o'clock in the morning. The academy was only 15 minutes away from our home. My mother said for 30 years he left at 3.45 in the morning. One day she said, Daddy, why do you leave so early? Listen to his answer. One of these days, one of my boys will be up and catch me in the act of excellence. Remember that Harvard Business Review study? Modeling? Aristotle put it this way. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Look up, everyone. How you do anything is how you do everything. We, we, we have a great opportunity to display Jesus during the simple, mundane episodes of life. It's called executing the godly basics better than anybody else. Can I talk to you all for just a minute? I'm going to anyway. I'm just waiting for a response. I said, can I talk to you for just a minute? Everybody, as loud as you can, say the word basics. I don't think the best team won the Super Bowl this year. In fact, with my body guy being from Louisiana, I don't even think the best team went to the Super Bowl this year. But the team that executes the basics, the teams that win these championship rings, the men who foster godliness in their home, know how to execute the basics better than anybody else. Everybody say basics. I believe in this day and age of shallow, superficial living. God is placing a demand upon us to return back to the basics, the basics of godliness, telling the truth, thinking the best of people, doing what we say we're going to do, not judging folks, showing up early, outworking everybody else, leaving late, taking pride in what we do because we do it as unto the Lord. God is calling us to focus on godly basics so that we grow our capacity for godliness. That way our light is shining. Morning, noon, and night, we're shining. For I got to calm down. I'm firing my own self up. Everybody say basics. My daddy was a cook. He was a cook at dinner last night. I'm holding on to a basic. Hey, son. Yes, daddy. When you go into a new restaurant, sample the soup. Why, daddy? If the soup is not good, don't invest in the restaurant. They're not teaching it at Harvard. I know. They're not teaching it at Stanford. I hope they're teaching it at Liberty. Everybody say basics. Basketball coach years ago, John Wooden, UCLA. His, uh, he paid the bills by coaching basketball, but his calling was to impact lives. First day of practice, he taught his players the proper way to put on their socks. Because if you don't know the proper way to put on your socks, your feet will develop blisters and you will be of no use to the team. Everybody say basics! One of my mentors in the faith played professional tennis in the 70s. I asked him, who was your stiffest competition? He said, Bjorn Borg. I said, really? He said Bjorn Borg had the basics so down, he wore his opponents out. 
Bjorn Borg wasn't the most physical specimen. So how do you account for five consecutive Wimbledon titles? Multiple Grand Slams. What would happen if a man of God left Thomas Road today and loved his wife like Christ loved the church? What would happen if a man of God left today and became a little bit deaf and a little bit blind to all the words that typically offend? What would happen if a man of God started taking baked bread to the neighbors? After you revived them from the heart attack, I bet it would be lovely. What would happen if the men of God started showing up early, started looking for who they could serve, started talking to the folks that nobody else wants to talk to? What would happen if the man of God became so in love with God that he became the model of Christ, so much so that he moved the word into the neighborhood? I'll tell you what would happen. There would be a revival in America, a revival in the land. Listen to me carefully. My father's godly basics, don't judge, show up early, be kind. I'm so old I remember the word manners. Raise your hand if you remember the word manners. Y'all do. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, not, no, that's bad. But you understand, we don't talk about manners anymore. We don't talk about kindness. Kindness used to be a value. Do y'all remember? Kindness was a value. It's a value you taught your children. Today, kindness is a commodity that we barter to get what we think we might need to make ourselves appear a certain way so we can appease the sensibilities of people we don't even know. That's not godly. I said, that's not godly. What did you say, Mother Teresa? Be kind to people even if they're not kind to you. That's godly. Men, here's one of the greatest things you can do. Meditate on Isaiah 53 for a year and then live it for one day. In other words, a sold-out man of God knows how to close his mouth and be silent in the midst of opposition when God tells him to. Kind of quiet in here. I said it's kind of quiet in here. How many of y'all want to still be men of God who makes an impact? Let me see your hands. 17 of you. I said I'm going to stay here until I see every man's hand up. How many of you want to be men of God that makes it? It's going to require something from you. To whom much is given, much is required. You're in a legacy church. Rise up! There's a generation coming. And trust me, they won't be impressed by your clothes. Rise up! There's a generation coming. And trust me, they won't be impressed by your lackadaisical attitude. Rise up! Are y'all getting what I'm trying to say to you? I'm talking to myself, man. I said, I'm talking to myself, man. Are y'all getting it? You execute godly basics better than anybody else, like being kind, like not judging, by showing up early, by being a servant, right? By being a simple servant, by helping people. I don't know any of you in here except Pastor Jonathan, but I can tell you one thing that I do know. Your parents worked themselves to the bone, am I right? Y'all, I'm working harder than cooling the gang up here. Hold up. Sir Cool and the Gang was an African-American singing group back in the... Your parents worked themselves to the bone, right? Some of them even had two jobs to make ends meet. But I can tell you something about your parents. No matter how busy they were, they always made time to help other people. Look up. That godly value 
has evaporated in this shallow, superficial, unbusy culture. And yet we wonder why we're not leading people to the Lord. We're foregoing the basics, looking for that which is extraordinary. Head football coach Pittsburgh Steelers Chuck Knoll said this, champions are champions, not because they do extraordinary things, but because they do ordinary things better than anybody else. What would happen, Pastor Jonathan, if our wonderful folks at Thomas Road would just start executing godly basics better than anybody else in Lynchburg? There wouldn't be churches big enough in the United States to contain people. So there's the charge. There's the choice. Basics. Basics I learned from my father, very simple. Make sure you don't judge. Make sure that you show up early, outwork everybody else. Make sure that you're kind, that you have a servant's heart. Make sure that everything that you do is excellent. And probably the greatest basic he taught me was in the unlikeliest of situations. I have no idea where I am on time. I got four numbers. Can somebody interpret this clock for me? How much time do I have left? A lot. You heard that, Pastor Jonathan. They told a brother he's got a lot. <laughs> Let me bring it all together with a closing story, and I can do it in five minutes. Men, God is calling us. I need to hear men say amen right now. Amen. God is calling us. You've had the angel of the church the last couple of weeks say, it's time to rise up. God is calling us. He is placing, is there a stirring in your heart? Because I'm sensing that. There's a stirring in our heart that says, no more playing church, man. No more business as usual, man. No more allowing the woman to take the lead while we watch every single program the NFL has to offer. Time is running out and our country is being led by ungodly forces while we sit in a rowboat. Speaking of boats, Leonard Ravenhill, why Revival Terry's years ago said this, the church used to be a lifeboat seeking and saving the lost. Today, the church is a cruise ship entertaining the masses. Let it not be said of Thomas Road. Let it not be said of the men in this church. Go! Make! Baptize! And teach! God is calling us, every single one of us, to leave our comfort zone, to leave our excuses behind, and to go and let our light shine. My closing story. Back in the 70s, I learned how, to, how, how a man looks from my dad, and I learned how to be a man from the unlikeliest of sources. It started in 1974. Were any of you born in 1974? That's when I met the finest woman I've ever met in my life. Back in my day, we would have called her a brick house. There's just one little problem. Back in the 70s, ladies didn't like big old linemen. The blind side hadn't come out yet. <laughs> we weren't first-round draft choices. Ladies like quarterbacks and so on and so forth. We go to this dance, and I see this woman, and her, find out her name is Trina Williams, and I'm in love. The problem was 200 other guys were in love. So I remember going to the snack table. They had just come out with cheese whiz. I wanted to see how far I could get that nozzle from my, Anyway, so I'm at the snack table. 
After a while, I decide, you know what, I'm going to just go for it. I'm dressed. I had on a purple leisure suit. <laughs> Any of y'all remember leisure suits? And I had on a pair of purple platform shoes. Y'all, I look like a black Barney. <laughs> oh. So I go out and I introduce myself. I said, my name is Ricky Rigsby. She said, hi, my name is Trina Williams. I said, may I dance with you? She said, sure. And we started dancing and I noticed my friends were laughing as if to say, man, you don't have a chance. So I figured I might as well go for it. If you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. So I pulled out a piece of paper. Young folks, uh, when you needed a phone number back in the 70s, you, you didn't have a... So I pulled out a piece of paper and a pen. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I asked Trina for her phone number. Do you all know that Trina was the first? Trina was the only woman in college who gave me her actual real telephone number. <laughs> the next day in my dorm, my buddy sitting on the bunk beds, I call her number on a landline phone with a rotary dial. Anybody remember those? And what came out of my mouth made one of my friends laugh so hard he fell out the bunk bed. All I said was, Trina, would you go to Baskin and Robbins ice cream parlor and have an ice cream cone? They're laughing. Trina said yes. Lord, just thank you for Rocky Road for <laughs> strawberry. <laughs> we walked six miles there because my car was broke. We walked back. We go on a second date, a third date, a fourth date. We started going together a month, two months, three months. My friends are in shock. The campus is in shock. The community is in shock. Soon, my parents would be in shock. I take Trina home to visit my parents. Y'all know what a screen door is? My daddy, my hero, is looking at us get out of the car through the screen door. He literally looked at Trina, and then he looked at me. He actually whispered in my ear, is she psycho? But anyway, <laughs> we dated all through college, and I proposed, and she said yes. Y'all, I married the most beautiful woman I've ever met in my life. Y'all ever go into a wedding here, and before the wedding even starts, you hear something like this in the sanctuary? How in the world? <laughs> and it was coming from my side of the family! <laughs> we get married, we start our families, we go into our professions, our lives are great. One day, Trina finds a lump in her left breast. Breast cancer. Six years after that diagnosis, me and my two little boys walked up to mommy's casket. If it wasn't for the Lord, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for those two little boys, no direction. Remember what I told you? I'd spent 40 years of my life making life about me. Now these babies need a daddy and a mama. And I had to leave boyhood and become a man overnight. Guess whose influence on earth helped me more than anyone else's? A third grade dropout daddy. Amen. The godliest man was about to create a legacy. He had one last lesson for me. This lesson would take place in a classroom called a funeral home. The chalkboard was my wife's casket. It was at that casket that my father said three words that would change my life. Listen to me. He said, son, just stand. Echoing from Genesis to Revelation, you can feel the power of God commanding his men 
to stand. Just stand, son. A year later, as he was dying, he was telling me, I had to tell you something that went far beyond my wisdom. I had to infuse God's wisdom in you to not quit, to not give up, because a godly man doesn't quit, doesn't give up. I kept standing. You're not going to believe what happened. Two years later, a miracle. My heart starts beating. I start speaking and preaching again. I'm preaching a Bible study at 6.30 in the morning. In the middle of that Bible study, I spot the finest woman I've ever met in my life. My friends can't believe it. You got two in one lifetime. First thing Janet did was adopted my little boys, fulfilling Trina's dying wish that her babies not go through life without a mommy. Then we had more children, more boys. They are now 36 to 18. If Trina was the love of my youth, Janet is the love of my life. I want to show you a picture. Show that picture of my family. This picture that you're going to see, I had nothing to do with this. This picture that you're going to see before the afternoon is over. <laughs> this picture, it, this picture right here. Now watch this, man. Every man in here, I need you to say amen as loud as you can. Amen. That's the impact of a third grade dropout daddy. This picture. That's the impact of a man who walked with God, who made decisions from a young man all the way to his dying bed, who made decisions to impact his children so that during the worst days of life, his son would keep standing. Without the impact of that godly man, you don't see this picture. So man, I ask you a question. What is your legacy going to look like one day? 